Brothers and sisters, good morning. It is a special privilege to be with you today. Uh, we consider it an honor uh, for me to have the opportunity to share with you God's Word. As Pastor said, my name is Dan Eads. Uh, currently, we're at our home church, Parker's Lake Baptist Church, and I have the opportunity to be serving there on the pastoral staff for a season uh, before we launch out this fall into a new ministry overseas. Uh, but our time here around God's Word uh, is just that. It's about God's Word. So I'm grateful for the privilege to bring that to you. Before we look at Psalm 67, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that because of Christ Jesus, we can speak to you in this way. That you, in giving us faith in Jesus Christ, have allowed us to know you as Father. We pray, Lord, that you would remind us as we read your scriptures this morning, as we ponder what you've said to us through this psalm, that we'd recognize that we have not been orphaned, that you have blessed us with your presence through the Holy Spirit, and we ask for his help as we read this text and understand it. That you, Lord, would work in your church according to this word. We pray that you would get the glory that you deserve in all the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are certainly many things that we could debate between neighbors, co-workers, friends. But I would say that if we had to dial in on one virtue that almost everyone could agree is good, it would be the virtue of gratitude. Whether you're a Christian or an agnostic, you could find yourself saying, I'm thankful. I was reading a personal management book this last spring and remarking about the fact that this non-religious, atheistic writer spent an entire chapter on the virtue of gratitude. And as I was reading it, I found myself asking the question that you may, if you're a Christian, to say, gratitude to whom, right? Thankful for what, sure, but gratitude to whom? Well, we as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ would recognize that we can be grateful to God for what he has given us and all of the many blessings that we received from him by his grace. But then we should be left with another question as we recognize that we are grateful to God for all that he has given us, for all that he has blessed us with. And that question is, why does God bless us? Why does God bless us? That is the question that I'd like for us to answer from Psalm 67, because God has a specific direction in mind as he blesses us as his children. If you have your Bibles, please open up with me uh, to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. And even before I read the psalm, I'm just going to mention here the structure of the psalm so that you can follow along with me, recognizing the way that the psalmist put these ideas in parallel and how we're going to look at this text of Scripture. So if you can picture a triangle and then turn to its side so that the pinnacle is facing outward. It's a chiasm. 
uh, so that we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7 in parallel. And then we're going to move just a little bit further in, and we're going to recognize what are repeated verses in verses 3 and 5, all driving toward verse 4. As we answer this question, why does God bless us? Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. In this text of Scripture, our outline is going to be very simple. First, I'd like to point out to you that our blessings have a purpose. If you're going to look at verses 1 and 2, there's one word here that I think is critical that's operative in understanding the whole of the psalm, and that is the very first word in verse 2, that. Verses, verse 1 would echo in the ears of the Israelite as he hears passages of Scripture from the law. First, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where Father Abraham is called by God from among the nations, and God tells him this, I will call you out. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your people's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I think you can hear in Psalm 67 echoes from this call of Abraham. As God says to Abraham that he will bless him so that he will be a blessing to all the nations. Not only that, but there's this very strong resonance in Numbers chapter 6 when God is telling Moses uh, that Aaron and his sons should say a specific blessing over his people when they worship. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So it seems that the psalmist takes these two passages, Genesis 12 and number 6, and brings them together, not to quote them, but but to utilize them 
as he gives now this psalm of praise to our God. What we notice here first is that he personalizes this. He doesn't, like the blessing in number six, say, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace. What does he say in verse, six, in verse one? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. So this is different now. Instead of a blessing, like their ironic blessing, it's a petition, and he includes himself in it. Just to specify here the difference between a blessing and a prayer or a petition. A blessing is said in God's hearing to the person that you're speaking to. So if you were to say, may God bless you on your journey, you're speaking to a person in God's hearing, telling them what you want God to do for them. A petition, even as we've prayed multiple times during this service, is to God in the hearing of others, like a congregational prayer. And that's what this psalm has done, is to take that blessing and make it a petition. To ask God to bless this psalmist and the people, but for a purpose. So he doesn't just personalize it, but he also purposes it. And that's that key word at the beginning of verse 2, when he says, that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all the nations. Brothers and sisters, this morning I'd like to ask you to consider why God has blessed you and what purpose in which he has given you all of the blessings you have. I know that I'm speaking mostly to an American audience here, and almost every time you speak to an American audience about blessings, they would start listing things like health and job and home and an education, which all truly are blessings given to us by God, and we should be grateful for them. We have so many blessings, spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ that have been put up for us in heaven, kept for us, even as was prayed earlier this morning. Just to think through from Ephesians 1 and chapter, chapter 1 and verse 3, all of the blessings that we have been afforded by God through Jesus Chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before him, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. Paul mentions nothing about homes and cars and jobs. He mentions nothing about education, but there is all sorts of blessing going on in Ephesians 1. So you, brothers and sisters, as you consider the blessings that God has afforded you through Christ, understand and broaden the scope of what you consider blessing. We 
We don't often have this experience now that we use Google Maps and Waze and Apple Maps to get around. But I can imagine that almost everyone in this room has experienced driving down a road and needing to get over to another road that runs parallel to it. And so you find yourself in an unfamiliar place and you say, oh, I'll just cut through here and I can get over to the other side and then sure enough, I'm headed north again. Only to turn down the street and find yourself in a cul-de-sac, right? You realize you're going to have to turn around, go back out and try to find a through street because there's no way through here to get to the other side. As I consider this passage and this small word, that, that God has a purpose in blessing us with all that he's given us in Jesus, I would remark that all too often we are cul-de-sacs of God's grace and not through streets. We are cul-de-sacs of God's grace and not conduits of it. God has given everything that we have for a purpose. And that purpose is that he would be honored and glorified in all the earth. That's where gratitude can break down. Because you and I can be grateful. Even an agnostic coworker can have some measure of gratitude, recognizing that what they have is undeserved. How many can go out into a public area and see people walking around with t-shirts that say blessed? Or how often have you walked through Hobby Lobby and seen signs that say grateful? Our lives, because of God, are supposed to be saying grateful for what? Well, grateful, grateful for what we've been given There's a purpose behind it. We pray meaningfully, even as Paul prayed this morning, that God would bless us. But are you and I thinking, bless us that? In the psalm, Psalm 67, the psalmist is directing the rest of the congregation that would sing this psalm together to say that they're asking for God's blessing so that the nations would know God and his ways. Psalm 67 says, verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. I just remark here because I cannot make the assumption in a room like this that everyone here is a believer in Jesus. And when this psalm, written so many thousand years ago, says that God's purpose in giving us all of the gifts that he's given us is so that his saving power would be known, we should just make clear that we understand why we need to be saved and what kind of saving power accomplishes that. And the scriptures are very clear from the very beginning. We as People on this earth, men and women made in God's image, were made to glorify him in all that we do. And that we, in our sin, in our wrongdoing, in disobeying what God has given us for our good, in the laws of instruction for what we should or shouldn't do, have rebelled against him and deserve his righteous wrath. 
And what the psalmist here is saying is that God blesses his people, those who acknowledge him by faith through Jesus, so that his saving power can be known among everyone. So this morning, as I read this verse, I would want you as an unbeliever, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to recognize that God's saving power is able to meet you right where you're at, in the wrongdoing that you've committed, in the mess you may have made of your life, in the otherwise blessed circumstances that you have, where you face the emptiness that those have apart from knowing the God who has blessed you. I challenge you this morning to consider what God intends for you and your life by faith in Jesus Christ. The saving power that God has provided for us as Christians is accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So as we look at this psalm, we are looking at it through the eyes of Luke 24 in the passage that was read earlier this morning. And even as the psalmist uh, here is bringing to us, bringing to our minds what God has provided for us, the saving power that we have uh, through God, we'd recognize that that's not just supposed to be for us. We're not to be cul-de-sacs of God's grace. We are to be conduits of it. As we share the knowledge of his ways, as we share the knowledge of his saving power with those among us, as we utilize the blessings that he has provided for us for the purpose they're intended. Secondly, I want you to recognize from Psalm 67 that God deserves the nation's praise. God deserves the nation's praise. Verses three and verse, verse 3 and verse 5 are repetitions. Identical verses. Since the psalmist repeats himself, I will too. Verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then again. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. As you read this phrase, I hope that you would recognize there's one word that ends up being more important, I think, than any other. And that is the statement, all. The psalmist did not say, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let some of the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let many of the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let most of the peoples praise you. He says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This psalm is a psalm of discontent because not all of the peoples are praising God. This morning, sitting in on Sunday school and the doctrine of God, we recognize that God is omnipresent. He is in all places. That God is all-knowing. That he's omniscient. He knows all things. That God, in his amazing wonder, not only does all things by his might and power, but he can do all things by his might and power. Anything is possible with God. So if he can do all things, be in all places, know all things, the very best that we could do would be to try to assemble a choir 
from all peoples to sing him praise. That's the very best we could do. It's not sufficient. That was made perfectly clear this morning through the lesson on the doctrine of God. We can't even comprehend God's greatness, let alone represent it in praise. But even that hymn that we sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glory of our God and King. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing recognizes that my voice or my language isn't enough to call forth the praise that God deserves. So I'm wishing, if only I could have more to give praise to God. The psalmist isn't content that only some of the peoples praise God. God is so great that all the nations must join his praise. I've been in church for most of my life. I'm a missionary. <laughs> I've been involved in the missionary project uh, for over 13 years now. It was only until the last few years that I've started to gain a picture at how much of the world has yet to have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We estimate that 40% of the world's population has little to no access to the gospel, to the church, or to missionary presence. Of 17,000, more than 17,000 people groups in the world, 7.7 billion people, more than 7,000 of those people groups are considered unreached. Where someone yet from God's church has not yet gotten the gospel to them. Of the efforts that we make in missions, 99% of the missionaries we send out, 97% of the money that we give toward missions goes to taking it to people that already have the gospel. So when you read this psalm and it says, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, do we find ourselves content that we're in a church that preaches the gospel and we're grateful? Or that from our drive from Brooklyn Park where we live, past our church in Plymouth where we serve, on down here to Burnsville where we're worshiping today, we drove by how many Bible-preaching churches along the way? And you and I, brothers and sisters, as we read this psalm, can pass so quickly over the word all. God deserves all glory and praise in this world. And are we content with some or many or most? The psalmist wasn't. He was petitioning God. Thank you, Paul, for praying for the nations of North Africa. And as a church, keep that before you as you consider all of the places in the world where the gospel has yet to be taken. Where churches like yours have yet to send workers to bring the good news that we have. God has given us so many blessings. Are we using them? Because he deserves the nation's praise.
Are we content that God isn't getting the glory he deserves? If I give you names of any of those 7,000 people groups without the gospel yet, we should recognize that each one of those represent a people that is robbing God of glory he deserves. I pray, I'm petitioning God this morning, right now, that God would use his word, that word, all, (laughs) to cause you to be stirred to pray deliberately for those who have no access to the gospel that we enjoy. One great resource that has blessed us as a family and our church more recently has been Joshua Project, a resource online. You can get an app called the People Group of the Day, and it will give you a new people group among those 7,000 that you could pray for. And while I was in Sunday school class here, I accidentally had my alarm go off on my phone at 9.38 because I had been reminded and encouraged by a friend to say, Matthew 9.38 reminds us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. So if my alarm went off as an interruption, I'm sorry, but it did remind me (laughs) of a theme that I was bringing to you this morning. God deserves the nation's praise. But then thirdly, and now we're driving here toward this pinnacle uh, that the whole text is driving toward, the nations need God's joy. The nations need God's joy. What I love about this whole psalm and that what's missing so often when we talk about missions is how Godward this whole thing is. Uh, God should be known, right? That his saving power would be known among the nations. God should be praised. He deserves the praise of all the nations. But now it brings it to this point where we recognize that the peoples have a stake in this too. Verse 4, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon earth. Even in this, the psalmist is praying for God to do something that he can't do. Let the nations praise you, O God. Let all the nations praise you. This too is a petition to God that the nations would find their joy in him. Certainly, we can be grateful for the things that bring us joy. But those things that we truly love, that give us greatest joy, show us who we are and what we truly value. The reason that this whole text is driving toward God's joy among the nations is because that's the greatest culmination of knowledge and worship. We can know God's saving power. We can understand the reason God should be praised and praise him. But that praise comes to a culmination when we find our greatest purpose and highest joy in him. The psalmist knows that it would take God himself working to make the nations rejoice in God. 
Remind yourself again of the context the psalmist is writing this psalm in. The Israelites, as God's people, among many pagan nations, often harassed and confronted by them, often thinking of them as the enemies. And now, in this psalm, he's asking that they would find their joy in God. In Tanzania, I have seen the joy of harvest. And this is the context of this psalm. Verse 6 had said, The earth has yielded its increase. And we understand this psalm would have been delivered probably for a Thanksgiving service of sorts at the time of harvest. When the crops had been brought in and the blessings abounded, they would be reminded that God has a reason for giving those blessings. So I can picture in my mind a rice harvest, usually happening at the end of the rainy seasons about June. You can understand the leanness that's come through a season of a long dry season and a lot of work to plant and then replant rice in the patties in hopes that God brings the rain that's needed for a harvest. So when dad and friends start carrying in bags of rice that have been harvested. You can watch kids jumping around out front the house. Mom's got a big smile on her face. The psalmist in another place reminds us that he has more joy than when they bring in the harvest. But in the context of that blessing of harvest stands such contrast to the hunger that comes when the meals have to start being cut out because what we had has run out. When the time comes where you go to bed without food, hoping that you won't have to eat your seed so that you can plant. Certainly it would be a tragedy in a context like Tanzania where in a year like this where the rains haven't been good, and you start to hear of people who are dying of hunger from a distance, facing high costs because of inflation. How much greater a tragedy if that person facing hunger, real need, could get themselves all the way to the granary, within arm's reach of what would save them, and then perish. I remark, brothers and sisters, that as you as a church are sending missionaries out to go to places to take the gospel, to help establish the church, and to build it up, that in the same time, God is bringing nations to us. If Burnsville Savage is anything like Plymouth, your parks are like a United Nations of playgrounds, right? You can go and find people from every corner of this earth, and so many of those people represent places that we have a hard time getting into. You would be finding it difficult to send workers to places like Saudi Arabia and Somalia, and they're here. 
and they're within arm's reach of what could save them. They're down the street. They're on your block. They're in your office. And they need God's joy. Or do we find ourselves thinking that the nations have what they need apart from God? Because I think that's what's at the heart of this. As we consider that God brings joy. Let the nations be glad, O God. May they sing for joy, is the petition of the psalmist. Do we think they're okay without the message that God has given us in his word? It's quite possible that when we see this person, we consider them a threat instead of their presence is an opportunity for gospel proclamation. Could I ask you that as you, as you walk around at your workplace and you hear a language different than the one that you speak at home, as you go to a restaurant or out to the mall, you're interacting with someone on your street and you recognize a different culture, different language, a, a different geographic birthplace, that that would be a reminder to you to ask that this person, specifically in front of you, would find their joy in God and that God may, in his grace, make you a part of seeing them know his goodness through Christ. Why does God bless us? That's the question we've been asking. If we drive toward the pinnacle, I think we recognize that God blesses us so the nations can know him, praise him, and rejoice in him. Now certainly God has multiple purposes in blessing us. But Psalm 67 is making clear that God blesses us as his people so that nations can know him, praise him, and rejoice in him. So I bring before you the Bengali Muslim Shaikh. 130,310,000 people who are 100% Muslim. They are located on the Bengali side of the border, but there's another 70 million in India. And we don't know how many evangelicals there are among them. Joshua Project assumes that we would need 2,606 workers to try to meet the need of preaching the gospel among all the Bengali shaikh in, in Bangladesh. Bring before you the Japanese. 120,028,000 who are Buddhist or probably very secular, 0.3% evangelical. So we're not saying three in 100, we're saying three in 1,000. Estimated 2,401 workers are needed to meet the gospel need among the Japanese. I bring before you the Turks. The Turkish people, 60,117,000, all primarily culturally Muslim, but many secular. The number is so small that if you move it to the hundredth, 
percent, you still don't register it. We'd estimate that among them, there's probably 125 evangelical churches, 60 million people. Like, how many, how many in the metro area did I drive by along the way here in compared to that number? I bring before you Iranian Persians, 38,587,000, vast majority are Muslim, 0.4% evangelical. Joshua Project would assume we need 772 workers to meet the need. The Pakistani Pashtun, 30,787,000, we don't know of any evangelicals among them in Pakistan. They're estimating 616 workers are needed. Psalm 67 is a psalm of petition to God that he would get the glory he deserves. I just named five of the people that, that we would class as unreached. I'm asking the Lord that among your number, there would be one. Uh, that you would be partnering with people who are going out from other churches to go to the unreached peoples. We seek to, to, to find a ministry where we can plug in to, to be helping people get to these peoples. In closing, I'm going to ask you to think with me four months ahead. Because today is July 24th. Uh, so let's put you at November 24th. That's Thanksgiving Day, I think, this year. Most of us would gather for a meal of gratitude with family or friends, either you're inviting over or you're going over to someone's house for such a meal. And it's not uncommon that if the group is big enough, they're going to find placeholders for everybody. You're going to have a name tag in front of a plate that says, this is Dan's spot, this is Jana's spot, that'll be your spot. Well, if you had a meal where you were all going to gather around the table and you had places held for people. If it came mealtime, but you were still waiting on a few people to get to the table, you'd say, well, this is their spot. We can't get started yet. We want to be grateful, but we want to be grateful together, right? Project yourself still further forward when there will be another table where all of God's people will be gathered. And there are placeholders at that table. Because Revelation 7 tells us that there will be a choir assembled before the throne of Jesus from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every people. Let's pray with the psalmist that those whose places are held to join us in thanksgiving for all that Jesus has done for us. That they would come in. That we would have the blessing and privilege of seeing them join the choir of praise. That they would know his saving power. That they would praise him along with us, as we did this morning. That ultimately they would find their joy in him a satisfaction that can only be found in God.
Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and what it teaches us. We pray that you would bless us and we recognize with gratitude all the many blessings that we have received from your hand. Make this church able, willing, and excited to use and utilize each of those blessings for the sake of the nations that have yet to know, that have yet to praise, that have yet to rejoice in your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.